Welcome to Surviving Academia, a podcast about surviving in the pre-apocalyptic hellscape of the academy. In each episode, we share self-care techniques and talk about surviving in academic careers. We hope you enjoy this episode. If you like what you hear and want to support our show, leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Got something to say? Let us know on Twitter at SurvivingPhD or on Facebook. Hey everyone, we are the Didactic Trio, and I am Kristen, and I am dissertating. And I am Rachel, and I am working. And my name's Zach, and I'm singing too, and I'm grading papers. Yay! (laughs) Oh, and this is Surviving Academia, the podcast, if the intro didn't tell you that already. Welcome, hey. everyone. How's it going, you guys? Good. Uh, it's, um, well, I mean, I, I sang about it, but it's that time of the time of the semester where I'm buried under grading work, so it's it's moving one, uh, one green streak at a time, because I grade with green, not red. Oh, why do you do that? I'm curious. I don't know. I, I, get, I always get the sense, I don't have, like, any actual, like, psychology to back it up, but I get the sense that students, like, open a paper and see a bunch of red, and they immediately, like, get defensive or immediately feel like a failure. So I feel like if I give it a more positive or neutral color, that they'll, they'll look at it for the comments instead of for the sheer amount of red I put on it, because hmm. they do tend to comment pretty heavily. Cool. What colors do you guys grade in? I'm more like, if I have a favorite pen, I just use what I want. Yeah, I usually am just like, here's my blue pen on your black text. How's your week going, dude? It's hectic. Yeah. It's fine. I'm, I, well, I had a migraine yesterday, and so that like killed the day. I ended up going into my office later than I wanted to. I've had issues with my car having to be at the dealership, though I got a swanky swanky rental that i'm not paying for thank goodness because they're the ones who ordered the wrong part for my car and um i wish i had more time to joyride it because it is a brand new uh, suv and i like it what about you Kristen? what's going on with you dear listeners i adopted a cat because my cat's getting old and i don't want a cat gap I can't have a gap between a cat cats. gap. A cat gap. No, my my um, I've got an older cat, and I saw this cat when I was scrolling through Facebook, and um, he is blind, and he's super cute. What's his name? His name is uh, Willie. Why is he Willie? Because he only has one eye. So he's one eye Willie. <laughs> yes. He's adorable. And he is a pirate. Let me tell you. My other animals, like if you leave something on like the um like the table or something, like they won't mess with it. Even the dog. Willie will take your sandwich and he's not even sure where he's going, but he wants to get somewhere else with it quickly. He's just like He doesn't even want to eat it. He's yeah, just like, he just wants mm, to put it in his mouth. I'm and gonna just, take this. Wait a second, are those nice. new spectacles? Oh, yeah. These are my new spectacles. What? Are those yeah. the ones we tried on the other day? They are. Get um, out. And Warby Parker, if you want to sponsor us, uh, two of us wear your glasses already. That's so true. I shouldn't have told you that because I should want you to sponsor us. But, yeah, these are my new glasses. <laughs> they look good. Thanks. They're torties. 
Nice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So after the last couple shows, Rachel and I have both like ordered Warby Parker tram boxes and like, like tried on a dozen. <laughs> and if you want to try on your box too, go to warbyparker.com slash. Just kidding. They're not. You know, you can just do that. They're not sponsored. Glasses. <laughs> Find your glasses. It's free. Hashtag. Wait. Slash. It's free anyway. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Go to warbyparker.com slash pay full price. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. You know what I should have done? I should have totally listened to a bunch of podcasts until there was a Warby Parker. If they went to the paid full price for these. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's okay. I'm getting used to them. I can tell my, they're different prescription. They're different like frames. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting. I'm going to wear them for a couple of days and then make the final decision. Okay. Yeah. Today's show is brought to you by the Dunning-Kruger effect. You've heard of this, right? The Dunning-Kruger effect states that if that the more someone knows about a topic, the less confident they are in their expertise in it, while the less they know about a topic, the more they think they know. So you know all that work to do in becoming an expert on your topic and all that insecurity you feel despite being that expert? Well, that's the Dunning-Kruger effect at work. You must be smart and knowledgeable, otherwise you wouldn't feel such insecurity. Embrace the Dunning-Kruger effect today because it means you're one smart cookie dipped in a silly and delicious bath of insecurity. I don't know why that made me think of like dunking cookies in milk. It's like, you're a silly cookie. Dunk See, yourself. your insecurity is really just a cookie. Really? Well, it says cookie in there. I know. Oh. If you were a cookie, what kind of cookie would you be? A smart one. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. What about you, Zach? Uh, the, the one where you can put as many different types of chocolate into one cookie as possible. Like a monster cookie? <laughs> <laughs> like chocolate with chocolate chips and drizzled with fudge. Oh, okay. wow. You're decadent. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen me? <laughs> I'd what, be what about a you? sugar cookie. Yeah, I like sugar I could cookies. I see that. I was going to say so you're so sweet. Oh, Blondie. Oh, Ah, there you go. I don't like super sweet things, but I'd say a sugar cookie or shortbread. Something that's bland. Mm, shortbread's delish. Because oh. you're bland. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I said something that's bland. I prefer bland desserts. I don't know why. Wow. I don't like things that are super, super sweet. I don't know too many people who, who <laughs> like, even if you like your food, like, kind of bland. I don't know people who are like... Excuse me, um, waiter, I was just wondering if, like, the steak is, like, really bland, because, like, that's my aesthetic. Okay, I don't that's, like It's called very bland. well done. <laughs> okay, that's just wrong. Yeah, that's rude. <laughs> um, okay, I don't like food bland. I just don't like really, really sweet desserts. Okay, so yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I prefer, like, a shortbread or, like... I get that. You know, a pound cake without a bunch of icing on it, but I like... I like making stuff with icing on it because I can decorate it. Okay. I'm just a bland old insecure cookie. I know. I'm like, what is happening over there? (laughs) I don't know. Well, talking about insecurities, let's Mm -hmm. get to a meat of our show because I'm sure that'll bring up a couple in all of us. So I wanted to talk about the job market with you guys today, in part because I'm thinking about 
trying to gather all the materials that I will need in order to go on the job market. So I'm kind of shooting for um, late summer. And so I know different disciplines have different sort of job market, um, you know, times when their job markets start or hit. And ours typically starts at like the beginning of the fall. So I'm just sort of interested. Is that how your job market is, Rachel? Do you guys ours start applying? generally starts like late summer, early fall. Okay. Um, things really don't start getting rolling until the fall semester with inter- with on-campus interviews either taking place the end of the fall semester, but more likely the beginning of spring. Okay. Because people like to have their decisions and all their hiring done by February, March. Yeah, that's kind of how I think ours is. So I was yeah, just sort of yeah. wondering um, how far in advance did you start thinking about your materials? Ooh. Um... So I started drafts of all my materials actually when I was taking a course for the minor in college teaching that I have. The course was called the Professoriate and it was actually taught by a previous guest of ours, Dr. Jenny Hart. And for that, we had to do a mock job application. And so I had, um, you know, a good draft of them. And then uh, the year before I went on the market, I actually took part in a, I was chosen as um, a fellow for this uh, kind of pre-conference for one of our national conferences um, that put on by an organization and they uh, called ATDS, the uh, American Theater and Drama Society. Um, and they did a, a kind of pre-conference on like for grad students on research in the job market. And so we actually had to bring job packets and have them reviewed by a panel of people in our discipline which was super helpful but it meant that I had started working on my job materials super early and so when I was ready to start applying for jobs I wasn't starting completely from scratch and um that is like my number one bit of advice to people is start them earlier than you think because they take forever yeah what about you zach yeah uh well i definitely didn't have all of those extra programs to help me out um i if if i had to do it again i would probably attempt to do something more like what rachel did but i started it the summer before uh uh, applying for jobs and i didn't apply to a lot of the ones that were early on because the high prestige schools tend to come out first and then you know the further you get into into the semester and into the spring, you know, it's, uh, you go from R1 to R2 to, to not as ranked schools, which is more of what I was aiming for. I was aiming for uh, a school where I could teach at rather than, you know, research intensive institution. Uh, but yeah, I, I started getting stuff together, uh, early in the summer, bef- the year before I went on the market or the summer before I went on the market and uh, just put it together one at a time. And, and instead of the formal programs like you did, Rachel, I uh, arranged some, some uh, cooperative meetings with people in my program who were also on the market. So we would review each other's materials and give advice. Now, I should add that like my materials have totally changed from when I first started applying. And I'm no longer on the job market since I have my job. Mm-hmm. Um, I may go on the next year. I may go on the year after that. It kind of depends because I will go back looking for faculty positions eventually. Um, but my materials have really changed from those first couple because they got stronger when I became more confident in talking about myself and my achievements. Um, 
they became stronger thankfully because of people like you Kristen who have looked at my um materials and you have um expertise in this which I'm sure we'll talk about in this episode um and my husband who is generally a, a legal writer uh he, it's always really good to have him read my stuff because he coming from a different perspective he can um help make it uh clearer and accessible to not just people in my discipline and also just really help me with making sure my thoughts are nice and clear and concise because I have a tendency to flourish and you know have a little bit of um flowery fluff in there (laughs) as all good writers should Mm -hmm. uh, but it really depends on the audience and I would second what you're saying is even if you don't have a handy husband to help you out do find a partner somebody else who's likely on the job market or better yet somebody who's in a totally different field and is just a nice friend who will help you copy edit. I, I've found that to be really helpful to have peers mm-hmm. and friends that would look over my materials. So when you said, Zach, I can't remember because I know I've looked at your stuff too. Um, when you say you did it the summer before, are you talking like the months before, like June of the year you started applying or the literal yeah. year before? No, no, no. Like, like early June, summer. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought. And um, Kristen, I know that you're, going to looking to really go on the market next year mm-hmm. so have you started oh yeah i've got drafts of everything mm-hmm. um damn so- <laughs> yeah girl <laughs> well i in a previous life before i came to mizzou i worked as a career consultant so my job was to get everybody's market materials ready and so i think i've been i know last summer when Zach was on the market and a few other of my friends were on the market. I sat in with their job material group, even though I really didn't have anything to give at the time, but I like read everybody else's stuff. I helped edit everybody else's documents and gave them feedback. Um, I didn't you take wonderful magical unicorn. You, I know. So wonderful. <laughs> well, I think so people, kind. I hope people bought you lots and lots of alcohol or coffee or whatever you wanted. Um, <laughs> yeah, like I think I've been, There's been a couple people in particular who I feel like I've like looked over everything and really like practiced um, Skype interviewing and job. I mean, I feel like we've I've done a lot of practicing with a few people. And like I've also like told them like I'm just I'm also like I know it seems like I'm like this like self-sacrificing like fairy. But I'm telling you right now, I'm going to be so high maintenance when I'm on the job market. I'm going to drive everyone crazy. Um, So I'm just like when you are. (laughs) You can feel free to send me some of your documents and I'll look them over. Yeah. So at the mm-hmm. time I was, I was mainly like looking at other people's, I just kind of wanted to read as many, um, you know, other of other people's documents as I could and kind of see what they look like. And so I, I didn't take the professoriate, but I took preparing future faculty. So there's like a, another small one credit class that you can take at our university that, um, helps you sort of go through each document and tell tells you like what you need and like the difference between like what you would need in this document if you want to go on R1 or if you want to go to community college and mm-hmm. um that was really helpful i think we took pretty avid notes or you know the, i went with a group of people and i did that way before i might have done that in like my third year so like way way before i was like ever um thinking about going on the market myself which i'm glad i took it that i know people then were like why are you taking this now and i'm glad i kind of did so that i could really be 
be thinking about some of these documents and um, also it changed the way I like wanted to teach some things and justifications for stuff. But mm-hmm. And I, I like to be prepared. So I'm just wondering, so what are some of the typical documents that are needed in a job search? Okay, Rachel, yeah, you made a post about this on our social media recently, didn't you? Okay, so the, the post, I found the post. Here we go. Um, this was from uh, Shit Academics Say. Ready? So I've attached my CV, research statement, teaching statement, fashion statement, student evaluations, admissions report, transcripts, <laughs> postscripts, writing sample, blood sample, syllabi, <laughs> lullaby, dissertation abstract, self-portrait, dream journal, and letters of recommendation. God, that sounds about right. And it has gotten so much attention. I've seen it in several places now. And I have to say, I totally relate this. I mean, it's got like... Over 20,000 likes and reactions on Facebook. <laughs> and for something that's based towards academics, that's a pretty That's a high pretty good amount. clip of people. Yeah. And yeah. I, I really related to this because I feel like some job applications are just ridiculous. And maybe I'm saying this because I haven't been on that side yet. Yeah. it's I, and, and every school is different, too. Like, there's some most things are uniform, but everybody requires just something a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's uh, I, I find that I don't know, and maybe I will feel this if I when I'm on the other side because so mm-hmm. far I've I've only the only searches that I've sat on have been executive searches, and so I haven't sat on a faculty search, and so it may be different um, on on what people are looking for, but. There are some places that will, they'll just ask for extra materials if, if they want them from you. And that, why can't people, more people do that? I just feel like, you know, you end up, some applications you end up <clears throat> sending in, not just your CV, not just your teaching statement, not just your research statement, not just a cover letter, but also like st- student evaluations, syllabi. Sometimes they will ask you to over a syllabi for a specific class. I'm like, I don't, yeah, I'm I sorry, do I don't have like infinite time here to send you with a syllabi for the specific class that you want with all of these objectives that you already have in mind. They should tell you that they are specifically looking for someone to teach that particular class that has experience in that class, even if it's not formally part of the job ad, like it's not written yeah. out in the ad. And I understand that. I just, if I don't have the class ready to go, chances are I'm not going to sit for hours and develop a syllabi for you. Well, that's why it's kind of like... I mean, I know I'm going to be preaching to the choir, but that's why it's just sort of frustrating, frustrating because like I can understand if you're like one of the three candidates or you're like the top candidate that they want to see these things. But to me, it's like you're making people do all of this, like all of this, like additional labor before you ever like get there. And then who's to say that they're not going to take not that I mean, you would hope that a place would not take your ideas or like be like, thanks for the ideas for syllabi. And like be crowdsourcing data, but like at the same time, like that's that's just really sucky. I never thought of it that way, and that is, I really would would think that people aren't that nefarious, but you don't know. Yeah, I don't know. But the worst is they ask for all this stuff, and then half the time you don't even get a rejection. You just never hear it. Oh yeah, I hate that. I I find that to be so problematic in our profession, and um. I mean, now, granted, I'm complaining, but I've also 
I might, I don't know. I might be kind of picky about this or negative about this, but I've also had really good job uh, market experiences. So mm-hmm. they're not all bad. Not everyone's nefarious. People do get back to you. People do communicate. But um, those those particular calls that literally ask you to dump your ever all of your files into something that they're not going to read and then they're not even going to respond to yeah. you on, that yeah. is... Come on. Yeah. I'll tell you, a good experience I had on that... Or- moderately good experience i was a rejection but i applied to this postdoc that was an interdisciplinary postdoc and i didn't hear back for four months but then when they did email they said they got 500 and something applications for that job so i was like okay that's why it took you four months because you probably you know had to read and you had to copy all the email addresses in and send that that probably took a couple hours so i didn't feel too bad about being rejected about that one the craziest rejection I ever received was a rejection from a dean who didn't BCC, accidentally CC'd everyone who had applied. And what? I didn't oh, respond. No. I just went, ooh. No, and then I scrolled through and was like, oh, I know this person. I know this person. I know this person. Wait, wait, wait. I don't understand. So, like. So, usually, if they're going to send a mass rejection, you BCC that shit. Oh. This person did not. And so the other 75 people who were also receiving the rejection were all CC'd. And then people started res- like replying all, and it got nasty. Wait, what do and you I mean just, they replied like, all? What did they say? How unprofessional that was oh. and stuff like that. Which it was an unprofessional move. And then they did respond with an apology to everyone. I mean, I, I, I took it as whatever. <laughs> I was like, yeah, whatever. Oh, I know these people. Like, I, they're applying the same jobs as me. That's not surprising. We're very well, similar on the market, you know? That's the but kind of was, mistake that ooh. you can't make on your application. No, it, could it cost is you. not. You are so right there, young Zachary. It <laughs> is. I am older than you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, but those kinds of mistakes if you make on your application. I remember... Literally sitting in a session with a senior member of our discipline and having her say, if you have one mistake on your application, she won't even, like in your cover letter, she won't even bother looking at the rest. How, like, how dare you apply? Kind of oh thing. my God. Like, I've done that give, where. If you're not going to, you know, make it perfect and put all the time into it. I'm sorry. I've read stuff from faculty who have had writing errors. I've, I've had stuff that had writing errors. I've read stuff from administrators writing errors. We're human. You can proofread that stuff a million times and you won't catch something until you click submit yeah i have totally feel you everybody makes mistakes i have applied for 75 jobs at this point and at least three of them i you know i use a lot of my cover letter and like carry it forward I have included the previous school's name in the new school's application. Two of them, I was able to email the HR department and be like, can you replace the cover letter? I made a mistake. And and that worked. But then one of them was just like, oh, well, there's three hours of my life that I'm never going to get back. Can I admit something? I did that once, too, and I got a campus interview. Oh, (laughs) really? (laughs) It was for a lecturer position that I was... I had already decided before I went that I was not going to take. All right. Just because. And then when I went there, it was an awful interview. Um, well, that's a, wow. unprofessional people on interviews is another topic for another day. Yeah. But um, yeah. yeah. Maybe we should talk it, about these documents. Yeah. yeah. No. So um, oh, I kind of want to know. So we talked about 
that, you know, that funny tweet that has been going around. But what are the typical documents that are needed for for you guys? Because I think it might be different than what's needed for us in my discipline versus, you know, maybe engineering. Um, I'd love to talk to my sister about what was needed for hers because, you know, she was on the faculty job market too in engineering. So what about you guys? Yeah, well, I think CV is uh, the number one CV and cover letter for every school and that's probably pretty that's pretty basic Mm -hmm. yeah uh one thing Kristen, i see in our show notes you've got teaching statements listed Mm -hmm. and that's i would say the research heavy schools don't i'd say three quarters of them do require a teaching statement everybody else everybody else does but you know the research focused jobs will often forego the teaching statement um, Do but they I think that's, then ask for a research statement? Yeah, they would ask for a research statement. And even some some uh, like uh, liberal arts colleges and, uh, you know, smaller uh, two direction state schools uh, will will ask for a research statement, even if they're not necessarily that their emphasis is not necessarily on conducting research, but they still want to know that you're interested in that sort of thing. So what else goes for you guys? I'm starting to see calls that ask for inclusion and diversity statements. Have mm-hmm. you started to see those? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so those are required in, uh, I think, California and New York. All schools require uh, a diversity statement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So one of the first California school I applied to, I uh, had to write one of those. Was not expecting that. It took me a lot more time. Yeah. I've seen, you know, asking for writing sample. Um the, a job I applied to asked for evidence of teaching effectiveness, which mm-hmm. was, you know, I'm just assuming that meant your course evals and some, you know, both qualitative and quantitative data for that. Is that? Yeah, it depends. Um, it depends on how they phrase it and what exactly they ask for the yeah. job call, because some will just want you to give them evidence of teaching effectiveness by including two one or two um, teaching evals. Other people would want evidence in the form of like, you know, you're putting the all the data in a table. You're maybe including a couple of samples and then some sample comments. So mm-hmm. it really just depends. Yeah, yeah. And I've I've uh, seen people ask for uh, evidence of teaching effectiveness in the form of like a syllabus or an assignment that you've done to mm-hmm. show that you can that you are applying your pedagogy or how you would apply it and you know what sort of elements are included in your typical class but yeah i i unless it other is otherwise specified i take it to mean uh you know student uh surveys so it sounds like so far there's a lot of overlap between your discipline and mine like it's definitely um your cv definitely a cover letter or a letter of intent or however they phrase it on the application more often than not in theater you're going to need a teaching statement um that could be just blank teaching statement, like blanket teaching statement. That could be teaching in a liberal arts context or teaching theater in a liberal arts context or the- teaching theater within this context. So they might want things more specific. Um, research statements, sometimes they want that separately. I see that a lot less mm. um, in our discipline. I also... I'm not always applying for R1s because that's not necessarily where I want to end up. So I think that's more evident, um, maybe more added, asked for in, in those job calls. Um, definitely inclusion and diversity statements. That's a, probably about 50% of them now. Teaching effectiveness sometimes. Um, writing sample, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see here that you wrote transcripts. 
I wrote that in. You wrote that in because I've, I've had definitely had to send transcripts. Yeah. And it's like 25 bucks each time. Now, well, wait. So some of them will accept unofficial transcripts and some of them want official transcripts, which Missouri, See, University of Missouri does not let you just have them. You have to buy them every time and you know enter in the recipient's email. That's very annoying. So I've actually never had a job that has asked me for an official transcript they, that they want that upon hire or they maybe want that when you're... Yeah. Down to the final three. I've never had to send an official transcript. Most of most of them will accept uh, accept unofficial transcripts and then official ones once the job is offered. Yeah. But I yeah, but I've I've seen a handful of ads that say send us official transcripts, have it mailed or emailed to blah blah blah. Wow. Yeah. See, that is creating even more of a burden mm-hmm. to entry here. Yeah. You know, getting an Getting a faculty position, there's already a high kind of bar that you have to leap over in order to even get there or leap onto, however you want to say it. Like, this tweet, the reason it's gotten so much attention is because it feels really real. Mm-hmm. You know, we're already yeah. putting so much into these applications. And then to pay $25, if not more. And I know, no, this is not the hiring committee's fault. You know, universities and colleges have, and even college systems have their own requirements there might be state requirements there might be other kind of guidelines that they can't get around in hiring so they might right. not be the ones who want all of this but whew, it it makes the job market even more grueling yeah so i wondered what was the hardest what do you think was the hardest uh document to write it might have been the inclusion and diversity statement for me not because that's a hard thing to write about but because between my teaching statement and my cover letter, I talked a lot about, you know, inclusion and a lot about, um, you know, uh, having minority representations in my pedagogy and uh, doing what I can to uplift uh, first generation students, students of color, and then to like not be repetitive in a new document, uh, I think was, was kind of a challenge for me. So trying to find some new angles uh, to emphasize uh, different reasons why I care about that. For me, it's actually a document we haven't talked about because it's not something that is in your discipline. And that is uh, some jobs will ask you for an artistic philosophy or a directing philosophy where you have to talk about um, your artistic approach or the way you <laughs> would direct, the oh, way wow. you would work with student performers um student artists stuff like that and that was the hardest to write for me because i was like oh it's always kind of hard to talk about your approach to things Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. so i i did a little bit of research and i saw how other people were generally writing them on mostly on like people's websites and stuff like that and then i sat down and just kind of brain dumped everything i think and feel about the field of theater and the art of theater and put it together somehow there it's it was that was really hard though mm-hmm. um i was like it's so much easier for me to talk about this with you than to write it out um and i haven't seen that in a ton uh especially i'm not an mfa so i don't have a master's mm-hmm. of fine art and theater which is um a terminal gr- degree but it is you know a practical performance or it's like uh or design or something like that um i feel like it's more prevalent on those applications Mm. um 
but sometimes you see it for generalist positions and I'm a theater generalist. So I've, that, that was challenging. I feel like the teaching statement was my hardest one to write. Yeah. Yeah. How so? Um, I just, I don't know. I think it just really took a lot of, you know, the first thing I did was I, you know, I've been teaching for a long time and I took out almost all of my course evals and read through them. And so I kind of got an idea of what students say they like about my course. Um, and then also what they didn't like about the course, especially so that I can address that or work towards that. And so that's helpful to know at least what other people see or like about um, my teaching. But I don't know why it just felt really difficult to write. I had a lot of trouble with my teaching statement when I first wrote it. But that was so long ago now that I didn't even think of that as being difficult. And I've revised it so many times. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. So at this point, um, you know, I applied for a job in late fall. Listeners didn't know about that. But I applied and I ended up having a phone interview and got some really great feedback and I'm glad I sort of you know was forced to make to get all these documents together and then I'm glad to have like some feedback into the job itself and and things like that but did you what kind of tips did you get when writing these documents so there's two tips that have stuck with me the most yeah uh, from that session that I, I went to and um in my field, one was by uh, Dr. Heather Nathans and one was from Dr. Henry Bile. Um, and they're both in, in the field of theater and performance studies. And um, for the cover letter, it was to make it an I, you, we approach where I talk okay. about myself also, but bringing in the university and talk in, or that you're applying to. And then also kind of put yourself in that position, how great we could be together, how this could work of us together, how I would fit within your context. So immediately kind of talk, it's that balance of talking about yourself, the institution, and then making them kind of see you in the institution that we, um, that's good advice. And I, so I, I take that approach with cover letters. Um, generally, it's not that specific and formulaic. Um, and then with, the other one was with my CV. Uh, I remember <laughs> Dr. Bile said like, uh, your CV is, you need to cut your CV. And I was like, why? He's like, cause your CV is longer than mine and I'm a full professor. And I was like, how long like, is your CV? Uh, oh, now it's eight pages and it's fully it's full but before it had been like 12 to 15 pages and had a lot of white space and he was like i see that you've done a lot of stuff um but the fact that it's long it means that i think it it's a red flag to us to me that you're padding something mm. and that maybe not everything is relevant um and then maybe you have just some extra space in there so uh, that along with actually going to um a, like a cv uh, event uh that we have here at the university of missouri called cv doctors mm-hmm. uh going to that and having someone from agriculture actually look at my cv i was really able to try to trim it down and now it is clear succinct it is well organized and it um he didn't mean it in like a mean way but he was like this this kind of looks like a red flag as if it's is if it's this long maybe not everything is relevant and maybe you're padding something and so, yeah, my CV is, there is not a lot of white space. There is white space that highlights my degree and that everything is just like clear and under control. Yeah, that's interesting because I had a colleague look over all of my um, 
and one of the junior faculty we just hired look over all my documents and his his advice was the opposite of mine really yeah i think because i like try to make uh a lot of the things fit to one page so like i have a version of my teaching state i I knew some people at the job that I was applying at who kind of gave me some tips on applying at the job that I was going to. Um, And they had told me, you know, like, don't don't go create like do not give a five page teaching, like try to keep everything condensed down to one page. But in order for me to do that, I like, you know, mess with the font a little bit to like make everything fit. And and so the advice I got was like, no, we need I want to see more white space on on these see now statements and stuff i understand that cv is what i was talking about oh yeah yeah totally so cv and i mean there's white space it's clear but i've also noticed that in interviews people they pick out the things that i have i want them to pick out oh good and they always mention the things that i expect that they're going to mention about me um okay and so but no materials like that you want it to also be aesthetically pleasing yeah and so it's okay to have some white space and just as instructors, I get really, really annoyed when people are play, uh, playing with margins and font sizes and stuff like that. I know, but and you know. And then, like, for me, I'm like, okay, if I'm over and they want it and I got to keep it to a page or two pages, like, I got to cut. And that's when Justin comes in handy. Yeah, I bet. Because he'll just yeah. go through and he'll just, like, butcher that thing. And then it ends up being, like, so much shinier on the other end. Mm-hmm. What about you, Zach? What tips do you uh, have? The best two pieces of advice I got, uh, one of them CV related. And uh, I think uh, being at an R1 where we get our doctorate, uh, a lot of advice we get is to put our research up front because that's who they think is going to be hiring us. And so the best advice I got was to actually put my teaching experience Same. after my degree. Yeah, because uh, a lot of the schools I've been applying to are looking for someone to teach so they don't want to have to scroll through. And I don't have a ton of research publications anyway, so it's not nothing to brag about on mine. Um, but moving moving my uh, the classes I've taught up to the top right after my degrees, I think, really helped. Uh, it gave people what they wanted to see right away. And so the other piece of advice I got was related, came from uh, a guest on our previous show, Dr. Miller. Uh, she she had give me gave me some advice on my uh, cover letter, which was show me right away what you're going to do for me. So like, don't uh, dress up your uh, your accomplishments and your uh, ideas and your dreams and and all that you've accomplished up at the front. Look at the job ad and respond to the job ad in the first and second paragraph. Say it. You need someone to teach this. I can teach this. Um, you need someone who can run that. I can run that. Tell me right away because I'm going to be reading 70 of these and I, I need to have the most important parts, which is I can do what the job asks right up, right up front. First thing. I like that. And now I want to revise my cover letter. Yeah. I mean, I, I usually address she's everything sat on the a bunch page, of committees, but that's on a bunch true. Of search committees. Yeah. Because I the tip I heard is if if you. Anything that you want them to read, you have to have on the first page of your cover letter. Yeah. Because generally my cover letter is two pages long, unless they ask for a shorter one. And so everything important goes on that first page. Yeah. Because yeah. they're not going to, they're not always going to read the second. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I like what you said about the CV, Zach, because, um, and I think listeners, especially those of you who are uh, just starting out, and even those of you who are seasoned at applying, um you will not have one cv you will have multiple cvs 
Um, you will have one for different institutional types. I would say prepare that sooner rather than later. Um, you will have one for a liberal arts teaching college. You will have one for a research college. You'll have one uh, uh, for that in, kind of in between maybe smaller state institution. Those are threes. One that's going to want stellar teaching, but also you to achieve in your research. Um, so, and, and it's all about kind of how you are organizing it, what you're putting first. But yeah, I, since I have a very much a teaching focus, Zach, I do the same thing where, um, the, the, the CV that I send out most often has teaching first, followed by a research statement and then my publications and then, uh, conference presentations. And we go from there. Don't forget creative activities. Surviving Academia podcast is on my CV. Uh, did you forget what field I'm in? I have an entire <laughs> section on creative scholarship. Is this podcast and on then, your CV? Yeah. At the end of yeah. my CV, I have an abridged artistic resume. Yeah. Oh, no wonder yours was 15 pages. Mine's only six. I do not have this on my okay, CV. Okay, now it's eight. You don't have one on your CV. This podcast. I don't Why have not? one on mine either. Actually, here, I, I was... Um, when Kristen mentioned preparing future faculty, it made me realize that I don't have that on my CV, and I did that program too. <laughs> um, so I actually have a list of things that I've been meaning to add here on a post-it on my computer, and so I just made two notes. I do have a couple tips from my days in, um, as a career counselor. Ooh, I've read a more. ton of CVs and cover letters, mainly resumes. Um a couple practical tips send everything in a pdf like you especially it just locks your formatting you'd think people would know that people do not send stuff in um pdfs as much as they should another thing i think is people like to use we fall into this trap i think especially as students people like to use um examples of their work that they like and not necessarily examples from what the job is. So for instance, if you are applying for a job in, you know, that one of the areas of emphasis is gender studies, your examples within your like teaching effectiveness or your assignment examples in your teaching philosophy, like those examples that you are pulling from need to come from those type of classes. And so I think sometimes it's like, oh, when I taught environment, we did this and it was really cool and it hit. Yeah, but that's like not what the job is. So like you need to be pulling your examples from that are like as most relevant to what you are applying to. Kristen. Yes, ma'am. Will you marry me? Of course. I want your advice in my life <laughs> all the time. Yeah, it's hard too. And I think that's why having like someone like Justin or someone who's kind of an outsider uh, look at your stuff is because, you know, you want to... I'm I'm an overwriter. I will overwrite the crap out of something. This dissertation is going to be so long. My advisor is going to have to just delete the crap out of stuff because I, I overwrite too. And I think having someone kind of be as, you know, concise and effective and saying, nope, nope, you want to be as clear as humanly possible. And I got one final piece of advice recently. Um, and it had a lot to do with um, networking. And so when I had that junior faculty look over all my documents, he said, you know, have you reached out to someone who has a job that you want? Like, have you reached out to someone recently who maybe 
got hired in a job with these two areas of emphases that you want and how they position themselves. And I was like, no, I really don't know a lot of ones, especially I don't know a lot of younger scholars. And he's like, this is what conferences are for. You need to go find those people, sit in their sessions and just go have a conversation with, hey, I'm going to be on the job market soon. You have the type of job that I would love to have. Is there any way that I could look at your job market materials and how you phrase what we do and how you positioned yourself? And he's like, that's what you need to be doing. That's the time you need to be spending at the conferences. That's where you need to spend your conference time. He told me these next ones coming up is asking to be able to see those people's materials because it's great to see all of everybody else's materials, but it also is helpful to see someone that's so centered in what you're doing. And I had never thought about that. And I kind of thought that was like a too big of an ask. And he's like, no, that's a fine ask. Like, hmm. this is also a way to start a relationship with someone. Yeah. Well, I I loved hearing your advice, Kristen. And maybe you could talk about, and maybe we all could talk about um, maybe the things that we do wrong. So those common pitfalls that we all fall into. I've always heard overusing like words like passionate, like I'm passionate about the subject or mm-hmm. um, what are some of those other like buzzwords that you kind of see people say a lot just to kind of exciting, exciting. Yeah. Just eliminate all of those things. You just don't have time. You don't have time in like your paper space to do that. Kind of going on what you said, like not actually reading the job call and responding to the job mm. call is a major mistake that I have made and I'm sure we've all made. Yeah, I think that, you know, these, these applications sometimes take so long that it's really hard sometimes to um, to not feel rushed when we're going through them. Um, and, you know, just responding to the to what they're asking for is going to be such a better approach. And I like what you said, Kristen, about not including what we think is interesting, but, you know, including what they actually need to hear is the best way to go. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I guess a pitfall for me is uh, that, you know, there are a lot of jobs out there and it's easy to get uh, sort of stuck in the morass of a lot of different things and see yourself in a lot of different positions. Um, and I, like I said earlier, I've applied to 75 jobs, uh, and I probably could have applied to over 200 if I let my guess, myself get stuck in every single opportunity. So I guess it's important to recognize when to be choosy uh, about mm-hmm. about what jobs you're going to apply for, because there are going to continually be more and more that, that come up. Oh, yeah, I agree with that, because it's, it's really um, easy to maybe feel like I'm not applying to enough or feeling that you're that kind of like desperate feeling of making sure that you're trying to get yourself out there as much as you can. But the reality is if you're not going to want to live somewhere and work somewhere, consider not applying. If the job is not something that you feel 100% in your bones that you can do and would like to do, don't apply because chances are they're going to see through your materials that you're not the right fit and they're Mm -hmm. not going to call you anyway. So you've just wasted your time and you've wasted theirs. So I don't think it's bad to be choosy about applying for jobs. I know there are lots of people out there who would probably say uh, that that's the incorrect advice. Um, I also have a spouse to consider. And so yeah. I will not apply to small one-year visiting assistant professor positions in Nebraska because we don't want to end up in Nebraska. Right. And nothing wrong with Nebraska. 
You lovely Nebraska. I have friends but, in Nebraska. Nebraska you know, is an awesome place. It's an awesome place. It's not where my husband would like to practice law. We would like to eventually make our way, um, hopefully towards home. Towards yeah. home. Yeah. Totally. Um, but taking me taking a one year position, and him following me, that would work for his career you know yeah. he would have to retake the bar exam stuff like that he hasn't been practicing long enough to not have to do that so you know there's definitely special considerations that people have and i'm sure we could spend you know another eight different episodes talking about all this stuff and i'm sure we'll cover um, maybe a specific episode on some of the documents like an in-depth deep dive to some of them oh yeah and maybe how to organize them and stuff um in the future maybe on the next episode oh yeah maybe um, we should do a part two on this one yeah i think so too i think so too um but i it's just always helpful when you're the person on the job market trying to get some you know some helpful feedback and anybody else out there who's in this boat hopefully we're going somewhere yeah <laughs> yeah we're all just rowing along Well, in the spirit of having to print lots of materials, today's episode is brought to you by the Department Printer. Ah, the Department Printer. Always faithful, always printing. It's there for you in times of triumph as you rush to turn in a paper. It's there for you in times of sorrow, slowly churning out the results of a failed experiment. It was there for before your time, and it will remain likely remain long after. A fixture of such steady devotion, the department printer is there to listen to all you need of it and there to print for you. I had a printer in my master's program that was 20 years old. Like I looked at the serial number and looked it up. It was 20 years old when I got there. It printed, oh, one, wow. it printed one page a minute. Jesus. And so we would like set something to print go to lunch and then come back and it'd be half done but it never oh broke my gosh. it never broke and it just See, kept on going i'm really spoiled right now because the printer we have uh that i have access to is new Ooh. and it's fancy and touch screen and like it i can yeah it's got all kinds of fancy stuff cool i don't even know how to use half of the fancy stuff that's fancy it's fancy so a final little word. What are you guys doing for self-care this week? Um, I might. Uh, so I. Um, so we've been I. doing. A, we did a lot of yard work this past weekend. And we're going to be doing more this week. Uh, we're putting a flower bed out front. And we did. A, I did a project with a friend of mine this weekend. A uh, quick one. Uh, I just need another set of hands. Because I couldn't like pick up the concrete. like Because we used quick concrete. Um so uh, we, I we put poles into planters and put concrete around them, so that we can hang string lights in the back. Um, it's been a really stressful couple of weeks for me, and so one of my ways to de-stress is to kind of like get my hands dirty. And so one of the things I did was like scrub the grill and then come in and get back to work and then go outside yeah. and play with concrete and then come in and get back to work. And then uh, if you can see the Your front. plants are back. Um, yeah, my plants are back here. And then the, in the front of the house, you'll see that I started yeah. to dig up uh, the flower bed. And then I just outlined it. And every day I'm going to work on it a little bit, but it's, yeah. been, it's been really, really hectic. Nice, nice. 
I like that outdoor labor as well. I haven't done anything uh, in the yard yet, but I did take a five-mile walk today because it was so sunny and nice. Lovely. Yeah. And I'm very excited, upcoming self-care, to get to see Kristen. IRL, we're going to a conference. That's true. That's true. Woo-woo! That's true. When do you guys go? Uh, I'm, mine's a quick trip. It's like I fly out Friday night and come back Sunday. This Friday? No, next week. Oh. I don't know. I don't know, dear listeners. Sometime <laughs> in the April. <laughs> but and it's a quick we, trip. Yeah. And Zach, yeah, you same. go to the same conference? Same conference, same days. Well, I'm going to a week-long conference at the end of this month, but it's in Tucson. So I've never been to Tucson. I'm really excited to see some saguaro cactuses. I'm not going to lie. Cool. I'm like super. Yes, I will bring home a gigantic saguaro cactus. Put one in your pocket. Yes, it will fit. It will totally fit. I've been to Tucson. (laughs) Check out some of the historical missions, the Catholic missions in the area. They're really cool. Great architecture. Awesome. Yeah, I'm excited. I've never been to Tucson. Should be fun. Kristen, what's your self-care looking like? I'm going to see a movie on Thursday. Ooh, what movie? I'm going to see the new um, Captain Marvel movie. <gasps> Lovely. Oh, it's I'm jealous. Like... I really want to see that. Yeah, so I'm going with a friend who actually I'm working on a paper with for the conference we're going to. We're going to um, we're gonna work on our paper um, from like noon until like the movie starts, and then we're going to reward us. We like will have our reward as watching Nice. I like that. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Well, it sounds like we all have a big week ahead of us and some crazy schedules. And I'm sure we'll have so much to update the listeners on in our yeah. next just, episode. Just keep swimming. Just yeah, keep just swimming keep out swimming. there. You know what? I need our I need our closing bumper today no. because I feel like I'm just trying to survive. That's good. Right? Well, until next time. Keep, keep on surviving. We're oh. swimming. <laughs> just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. <laughs> I misunderstood. <laughs> so, would you like to tell everyone about your newest edition, Kristen? Yes. Um, I, I oh my god, you're kid. pregnant! Oh my god! So can I tell you? Can I tell you something hilarious about this? So one no, of the first oh one of the first year students I talked to the other day in our department, I saw them getting coffee and. Um, she just had a baby and she said, Hey, Kristen, what do you think about children? And I was just so taken aback. Like I didn't like, I was just like conceptually, theoretically. It's like walking up to someone you kind of know. And it's like, what's your, what are your thoughts on Jesus? Yeah. I was just so like taken aback. I was like, I mean, I'm, I'm pro them for the most part. <laughs> I think they're, the children are our future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. I'm Yep. But I don't necessarily know if I need to have them. I was just very confused. She's like, I meant like if I invited you for coffee, is it okay if my baby's there? I'm like, oh, yeah, that's fine. Why didn't you just say that? You know, the best kids are other people's kids. Yeah. Because when they start to misbehave, then they're out of your hands. Mm -hmm. Truth. Truth.